We're glad you're here. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to jump right in the message today. So take out your Bibles. Uh, if you've got uh, a smartphone, feel free to open it up there to the North Point app or to, to uh, a Bible app as well. If you don't have either of those and want to take a Bible out of the front of the pew in fr- or the back of the pew in front of you, that would be great. Um, we're going to we're going to look at three verses today, uh, uh, just a little snapshot of what Jesus said. That's going to lead us on a journey that's that's going to uh, I think challenge us to think about how we live, what we do, uh, individually and collectively as a church. So turn to Matthew chapter five. We're going to read from verse fourteen to sixteen. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, this is Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said this, you, you, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. In 2011, I had an opportunity to go to Israel for the first time. I, I hope I get to go back again. I, I went with about 17 other ministers, guys involved in, in church planning in one way or another. And um, our trip was a two-week trip. The first week we spent in and around the Sea of Galilee. The second week we spent in Jerusalem. Uh, the, many of my memories from the area called Galilee uh, that are so vivid... Uh, Involved seeing the places where Jesus started his ministry, where Jesus worked in Capernaum, different places. I remember one afternoon we went to uh, the location that that they believe is where Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it's on this hillside that overlooks the Sea of Galilee. And as we sat there, I thought about what that picture would look like for the people who heard Jesus say, you are the light of the world, a, a, a city sit on, set on a hill can't be hidden. That, that, because as Jesus would have talked, they would have seen this, the city of Tiberias in the background. Not as big as it is now, but regardless, they would have sensed that city. I remember thinking about these words of Jesus and Jesus saying, um, a, a city set on a hill, cities set on a hill can't be hidden. And thinking, I wonder what that would look like at night. There's the picture. You know, on the midst of this hillside, when there's light and darkness, it draws all kind of attention to it. I think that the people who listened to Jesus at that moment had, had to have this picture that said, even though the city wasn't that big, they didn't have electric lights, they still would have been able to see the, the city, Tiberias, there in Jesus' time with candles uh, in, in the windows to light it up and see what was there. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden. We're talking today about what it means to be light in a dark place, about what it means to shine for Jesus in a place that has grown accustomed to darkness. We're in a series this summer uh, called Ask Alexa, where, where the tagline of that is, who you ask shapes the answer. Uh, who you ask the question of, that shapes what kind of answer you're going to get. Um, and that couldn't be any clearer than on the subject of evangelism, of on sharing your faith. The dictionary defines evangelism as the spreading of the Christian gospel by public preaching or personal witness, a zealous advocacy of a cause. Jesus 
when he was ready to leave this world, gave this charge to his disciples. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Who you ask shapes the answers that you receive. So you, if, if you ask Jesus if we're supposed to let our light shine, if we're supposed to be a disciple and make disciples, if we're supposed to share the good news about Jesus with people who don't know and love and follow him, the answer is pretty clear. Our mandate is to let our light shine, to make disciples, to proclaim the good news about God coming to earth, living a perfect life and going to the cross for us, sacrificing his life for us. Elton Trueblood said, evangelism is not a trained job for a few trained men, but is instead the unrelenting responsibility of every person who belongs to the company of Jesus. The call that we have from Jesus is clear. We're to share our faith. We're to let our light shine. But if you ask our culture if we're to evangelize, If you ask the media, if you ask the government, there's a very different answer. Uh, You know, the the common thought, conversations I've had multiple times where people say, you know what, you believe in Jesus, that's great, good for you, that works for you, that's fine. It's not for me. If that works for you, that's, that's okay, but don't force your faith on me. Don't assume that I want your faith. If it works for you, that's good, but leave me alone. Keep your faith to yourself. Faith should be private. I was reading this past week about the, the nation of Bhutan in Eastern, Age, in Eastern Asia. Um, they've, they've passed some laws in the last five or ten years that have allowed Christianity to be recognized in, in, a, in their society. But what they've said is you can't make converts to Christianity in Bhutan. You can't talk about your faith because if Christianity were to come into Bhutan, it would, it would change our culture, our Buddhist culture. And we don't want our culture Changed. You can have your faith, but keep that light under the bowl. Don't have it impact anything around. In November of 2014, the the uh, Fifth Ranger Training Battalion held a training session for all of its uh, all of its soldiers about uh, suicide prevention. Suicide in the military is at uh, exists at a much greater rate than the 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 uh, general population, and so they were doing training to to help soldiers both prevent and to to be aware of, of the need. Uh, a chaplain did that training, a chaplain named Joseph Lawhorn. Um, he shared a variety of, of resources, of uh, uh, counseling uh, options, things that were there, things to be aware of, warning signs, uh, uh, so that the soldiers would, would uh, not be taken by surprise by that, and they'd be prepared for it. In addition to the tools that he shared, Chaplain Lawhorn shared his own personal story. He, he shared about the, about the depression that he went through and the struggles that he had. And he shared that, that part of what helped him through that process was uh, the story of David from the Old Testament, reading about David and the things that he went through. 
um, as the, as the, the uh, training finished, he handed out a brochure that had all of the tools that, that uh, he had talked about. And, and on the back, he had written um, some scripture that could be there to help guys who were struggling, maybe who were thinking about suicide. One of the soldiers in that unit complained uh, that the chaplain had shared scripture as a potential source of strength for soldiers. As a result, a letter of concern, which is a form of military discipline, was placed in Captain Lawhorn's file. The letter from his commanding officer, uh, a colonel, warned Captain Lawhorn to be careful to avoid any perception that you are advocating one belief system over another. It's a little ironic, isn't it, that a chaplain, that that, that, that would be the challenge for him. You know, we live in a culture that, that says, you can have your faith, but don't push it on me. The courts have made it clear that a teacher cannot, cannot initiate a conversation about Jesus or the Bible in their classroom. It's clear that our culture, from the media to our education system to the political world, um, believes that the light Jesus spoke of is best kept under that bushel, under that bowl. It can shine brightly and clearly under that bushel, but a pluralistic society means there's not a place for light to invade the territory of those who are comfortable or love the darkness. So what do we do? What, what do we do as followers of Jesus living in that kind of a world? You know, it's not that different than what existed in the first century. In the first century, the, in the Roman culture, there were all kinds of gods. People believed in all kinds of gods. And the Christians were persecuted because they said, no, you know what, there's just one God. The God who made heaven and earth, and he came to earth in the form of Jesus, in the form of a man, and went to the cross for us. What do we do today? I think think we have three options. One option is to just simply not talk about our faith, really, in any kind of setting. To keep our relationship with Jesus to ourselves. We, uh, it's a, a call to not make waves, to not rustle the waters, to not make anybody uncomfortable, to not get into trouble. It's essentially keep your light under the, the bowl. The second option is to be very bold and be very direct and be very willing to suffer the consequences for having those conversations. You know what? That was the path of Paul as he traveled throughout uh, Europe, as he traveled through, throughout Asia. You know, he stirred things up, and as a result of that, he was beaten, he was thrown into prison. Over and over and over again. That's an option. Third path is, is the path that I think most believers in Jesus in the first century took. They built relationships with the people who were around them, and they talked about Jesus as naturally as they would talk about their spouse or their kids or their grandkids or their hobbies. The impact that Jesus made on their lives just filtered out into every aspect of their lives. And they were persecuted, so that Jesus was a part of that persecution. And the conversations that happened drew those people that were in relationship with them to him. Who you ask shapes the answer to that question of how we share our faith. I want to talk this morning primarily about that third option, about letting your relationship with Jesus spill over into every aspect of your life. Because our call as disciples is to tell our story about what Jesus is is doing in our lives. Tell your story. 
Jesus said this as he's getting ready to ascend into heaven. He said, All, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses. You'll talk about what you've seen and heard and know. You'll, you'll talk about what you've experienced in relationship with me. You'll be my witnesses. Jesus says to us, tell your story about your relationship with Jesus. The story about uh, how you met him, how he changed your life, how he is changing your future, how he impacts your relationships, how he changes and alters the things that you care about. The power of your story is stronger than having all kinds of information. The power of your story is greater than having all the answers to every argument someone might come up with. It doesn't have to be a, an elaborate story of a freedom from addiction. It's, it's, it's about the hope that we have because of Jesus. It's about the peace and the comfort that we've experienced in times of loss. It's about Jesus walking with us daily. You know, the, the great thing about your story is that your story is unique and no one can argue with you about your story. When I talk about growing up with four sisters and no brothers, I'm telling my story. And nobody can say, oh, that's not the way it was, because it's my story. When I talk about, um, about what it's like to live outside of Washington, D.C., there may be people who have a different kind of experience, but my story is the story of 20 years living outside D.C. When I talk about what it's like for me to ski in Colorado, to snow ski, that's my story. And people may have other kind of experience, but they can't argue with my story, because it's my story. When we tell the story of how Jesus has worked in our lives, it's our story. It's powerful. When I talk about why I'm an optimist, and I explain that it's the presence and power of Jesus in my life that gives me hope, you may think that that's foolish, but you can't argue with me about why I have that optimism. When I talk about the peace that I experience in the middle of struggles because of Jesus, that may not be something that you understand or even believe, but you can't discredit it because it's my story, my experience. You know, for, for most people, when they hear a message, when they hear a, a, a talk, a sermon about evangelism, uh, lots of people don't know what to do with it. They, they get nervous. Sometimes people feel guilty because they think, oh, I just don't do that enough. For a lot of people, they feel inadequate. They think, ah, you know, I'm just not equipped to be able to share my faith um, with others. For some people, it just makes them nervous. They, they don't know what to do. And all it really is is just telling the story of what Jesus has done in their lives. They're afraid because they, they think, oh, I don't know enough scripture. I won't know all the right answers to questions that people have. I'm not very eloquent or persuasive. I don't want to be lumped in with those people who are Bible thumpers. Your story is more compelling than fact and logic when you're sharing it with someone who knows you. Let, let, me, let me just show you what I mean today. Um, uh, we're in this series called Ask Alexa. So uh, let me see if Alexa's awake. Uh, Alexa, good morning. Good morning, Rick. Um, Alexa, are you objective and unbiased? Yes. I can only tell the truth. 
Okay, Alexa, I need some statistical information about college football. Alexa, what are the, what are the uh, three favorite college football teams of people who attend at North Point Community Church? Based on geography and analysis of the past, North Point sermons that are posted to the World Wide Web, the favorite teams are Michigan State University, the University of Michigan, and the Ohio State University. Yeah. <laughs> Alexa, of those three teams, which one's the best? Do I have to answer? <laughs> My body is strong, but not unbreakable. Uh, okay, Alexa, um, how are those three football teams ranked at the end of the 2017 season? The Ohio State University was number five. Michigan State University was number 15. Sadly, the University of Michigan finished outside of the top 25. Coach Harbaugh was not very happy. Wow, it sounds like uh, the Big Ten is going to be strong this year, Alexa. Coach Nick Saban of the Alabama Crimson Tide said, I'm not worried. Oh, that's good to hear. Uh, Alexa, of those three universities, who had the best recruiting class this year? The number two recruiting class in the country belonged to the Ohio State University. Michigan's class was ranked number 21, and Michigan State's class was ranked number 32. Alexa, it's uh, my understanding that SB Nation does a projection of the best team in the nation based on recruiting, on the performance of the returning offensive and defensive starters, and the results of the past five seasons. Alexa, how are the, those three schools ranked by SB Nation? Michigan State is ranked number 11. Michigan is ranked number 10. And the Ohio State University Buckeyes are ranked the number one team in the nation. Wow, thanks. Uh, O-H. I-O. Go blue. Go green. Alexa does not play favorites. Uh, thank you, Alexa. Um, you know what? I... If you think through the conversation that I just had with Alexa, Alexa gave you three solid facts of why UM fans and MSU fans should become fans of The Ohio State University, <laughs> right? Three, three unbiased statistical facts. Ohio State finished higher last year. Ohio State had a better recruiting class. And Ohio State is ranked higher going into this season, right? So all of you UM and MSU fans are ready to become Ohio State fans, right? Anyone? Anyone? Ah, there we go. Why is that? Because it, where your heart goes isn't always about logic, right? We think that we've got to have all of the logic, all of the pieces of the puzzle to be able to, in place before we ever talk about Jesus. And it's not about that. It's about what he has done in our lives. People ask me a lot, why, why is it that you're so passionate about Ohio State? Why is it that, you know, that that's part of who you are? Um, I don't say this very often, but I was born in Michigan. Um, and and how did I become an Ohio State fan? My grandfather taught at, at Ohio State. He was an adjunct professor. My dad's a graduate of Ohio State. My mom went to Ohio State. My aunt graduated from Ohio State. Got lots of Ohio State connections. From the time I was little, we always watched Ohio State. Um, I remember going to the horseshoe with my grandpa 
when I was when I was little, probably seven or eight years old, and and seeing Woody Hayes on the sidelines in the short in the white short sleeve shirt, and and watching as the band did Script Ohio for the first time, and just thinking this is the coolest thing ever. You know what? It wasn't about logic. It was about my heart. What? Why is it that we think when we begin to talk about Jesus that we've got to have all of those pieces in place? Because it really is about the work that God has done inside us that we're to share with others in order to let our light shine. Tell your story. Tell your story. That's what we're called to do. If you get a question that you can't answer, all you have to do is say, you know what, that's a great question. I don't know. I'm happy to find out. But here's what I do know. Jesus has made a difference in my life. He has changed me. Tell your story. But, but listen, don't let your story grow old. Many of you have been followers of Jesus for a long time, for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years. Don't let, your sto- don't let the story that you tell about Jesus changing your life be about the stuff that happened 50 years ago. The story is real, it's alive, it's what God is doing right now in our lives, the transformation he is making in us today, this month, this year. The world needs to hear your story, it needs to hear how he is transforming you now. Romans 10 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one that they haven't believed in? How can they believe in in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without somebody preaching to them? I I, I love what the message says. It says, how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? How can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? How is anybody going to tell them unless someone is sent to do it? We're the ones who are sent. Jesus said, let your light shine. Evangelism, sharing our faith, is about relationships and conversations more than it is about speeches or street corners. People don't care about someone or something until they have a relationship with them. And once you have that relationship, everything changes. You know, for many of you, um, two years ago, uh, if, if I would have said, uh, what can you tell me about Ecuador? You would have said, oh, Ecuador's a country, I guess, in South America somewhere. But two years later, you're sponsoring a child there, and you care about what happens in Ecuador. You're, you're writing letters, and you're getting letters from the kids that you sponsor, and all of a sudden your heart has changed because of that relationship that you have with them. Sharing your faith um, with, with people is about relationship. It's telling the story with those people that you know and love of what God is doing in your life, how Jesus is changing you. John describes the first encounter of people telling others about Jesus with these words. John chapter 1, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we've found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We've found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? 
Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. You know what? That's, that's the picture of what it is for us to be in relationship with people and tell people about Jesus. I found some answers, man. And, and people say, ah, I don't, I don't know that I buy. And just being able to say, you know what? Come and see. Check it out. See what Jesus will do. We have a calling as individuals to tell our story, to let our light shine. We have a calling as a church as well to tell the good news about Jesus wherever, whenever, however we can. Um, you know what? Telling, your, telling the story about Jesus is not about inviting them to come to church at North Point. It's not about inviting them to come to church at all. It's about inviting them into a relationship with Jesus where he can um, transform them, uh, where, where they can ultimately become a disciple of him. The words that we've chosen to describe our mission as a church is to help all people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. Why, why is that our mission? Because that's the call for each of us in our lives, to move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. The, the vision that we have to impact 50,000 people with the grace of Jesus in five years, why do we have that vision? It, it's, uh, it's not so that we can say, oh man, what a great church we are. We, we impacted 50,000 people. It's not that at all. It's designed to, to encourage us to create conversations with people that we may not know because of the grace of Jesus. It's why I've said over and over again, when we talk about 50 and 5, it's not about church programs. It's not about just the food packs and those kind of things. It really is about each of us waking up every morning and saying, God, who do you want me to impact with the grace of Jesus today? And then being sensitive to what happens at Meijer or at the gas station or at work or in our neighborhood. Who do you want me to impact today, God? Why is it that we support the Chanteurs in Papua New Guinea, even though they're not in tribe with the Yembe Yembe right now? It's because the work that they're doing is impacting the nation of PNG. It's impacting the Yembe Yembe people even from a distance so that the light can grow and draw attention to itself there, so that, so that the Yembe Yembe can be a people, a city set on a hill that the, that the peoples of, of Papua New Guinea can see and see what's going on there. Why is it that we care about what happens to rural teens in southern Michigan and support Crossroads Farms and, and Doug and Don Rutledge? It's because the light needs to shine brightly in the lives of those kids in a depressed economic area, a place where there are not a lot of strong churches. Why is it that we're going to Ukraine? It, you know, it's, it seems funny to go on a, a trip that we're not going to build anything, we're not going to do evangelism. Really, all we're going to do is take care of kids, of the missionaries. Why is it that we're committed to doing that? It's because this, those missionaries need care. They need rest. They need to be able to connect with the other missionaries. They need to be challenged to use new tools to help reach the lost. They need to be um, energized in the conference that happens next week so that the light can shine bright in Lviv, in, in all of Ukraine, so that it can be the city that's set on a hill. Uh, what's it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? We've, we've defined that here as saying a disciple is somebody who follows Jesus, who's being changed by Jesus, and who's committed to the mission of Jesus. A, a disciple is somebody who follows Jesus, who's being changed by Jesus, and who's committed to the mission of Jesus. 
What's the mission of Jesus? Why did Jesus say he came? To seek and save the lost. We've got to be the light of the world to let our light shine. Why does it matter whether or not you introduce your family or your coworker or your neighbor to Jesus? Because eternity matters. I don't know if you were here last week or not, but heaven and hell are real. That was, that was last week's message. Eternity's real. And people who don't know Jesus, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. People who don't know Jesus are going to be lost eternally if we don't let our light shine, if we don't tell our story, if as a church we don't make an impact here in this area and around the world. Um, in, uh, in January of 2016, the elders were together, the North Point elders, the leaders here, and uh, at a retreat, and we talked about where God might be leading us in the future. We had a really interesting conversation because in the midst of that conversation, three different elders uh, said independently, you know what, I, I think God is calling us to come alongside struggling churches, churches who are maybe ready to die, People, uh, churches that are, that are just going through difficult times because we've had churches come alongside us when we struggled and we feel like we've got some stuff that we can share, that, that we can help them, help relight, rekindle that light that exists in that place. Um, it, it, was, it was cool because God was working through lots of circumstances to make that happen. Uh, in 2017, we spent a ton of time just working through as an eldership. Are we called as a church to reproduce ourselves? What that means is, our, our, do, do we need to be serious about planting churches? Do we need to be serious about, uh, about maybe thinking about uh, you know, a, another campus or something like that? Do we need to be serious about coming alongside churches that are struggling and dying? And, and through the eldership, we, we said, yes, our mandate from Jesus is to reproduce. It's not enough for us to stay focused solely on North Point. The light needs to shine out and about and around this year in our elders retreat, we studied through the book of Acts and we just, we, we worked through the entire book of Acts and said, okay, how did the church grow in the New Testament? And what's that mean for us? And out of those conversations, there was this, this resounding sense that, um, that God is leading us to come alongside churches that are struggling. So um, in, in the last several months, I've had a chance to talk to two different churches. One's a church of about 40 um, that uh, another is a church about 80. Both those churches, in the conversations that I had with their leadership, said, you know what, in five years, we're probably not going to be here. What is it that God wants us to do with those, with those churches, with churches like them, because our area is filled with churches who are dying? The answer is, I don't know yet. I, I, I'm not coming with any, uh, with any big proclamation except to say this. As a leadership, we feel this sense that God is calling us to pour into churches where the light's dying and to help reignite that light. Um, that may mean that we let a church, that, that we help a church work through the transition of dying with dignity and, you know what, finishing their mission in that place and then help them channel their resources into the kingdom to start new churches in other places. It may be that God is calling us to come alongside a church that's struggling and, and help them rethink and re-energize their vision and to, and to blow oxygen into that fire so that the light can grow in a fresh and new way in that place. It may be that God is calling us to pour in some resources, some financial resources, some people to help that happen as a ministry of North Point. 
it may be that that there's a that there's struggling church that that we need to connect with North Point and we need to, to just partner up and um, and work together to allow God's kingdom to grow. As a church, we have the same call to let our light shine that we have as individuals. God is working, and, and we need to just be sensitive what, to what he has called us to do. Um, why is it that our elders encouraged me to have those conversations with those churches? It's because we believe that the vision of the light shining is a mandate that we have for mid-Michigan and the rest of the world. Here's what I know. Our mission is to help all people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. Our vision is to impact 50,000 people in five years with the grace of Jesus. Here's what I know. Where God's kingdom grows and who gets credit is not important at all. We need to be a part of the kingdom. What is important is that the light of Jesus shines here in mid-Michigan and around the world and that we're a part of that process. Does it really matter? Is it, is it all that important that our light shines? You know, if heaven and hell are real and Jesus is the only way to escape hell and to come into relationship with, with God, people who don't have that relationship with him are going to hell. As, as I thought through this message, as I pointed to this week, I thought, why is it that we don't care more about sharing our faith? Why is it that we don't care more about evangelism? Um, uh, here, here are my thoughts. Sometimes I think that we, in our minds, we really just don't think hell is real. We, eh, I'm not sure that I buy that it's real. That may be. Um, it may be that we believe hell is real, but we don't believe that God will send anyone there. And so, that, and so there's no sense of urgency. It may be that we really care more about ourselves than other people. That exposes our sin of selfishness. We don't want people to think that we're holier than thou. We don't want people to think that we're misfits or fanatics. It may be that we don't share our faith because we just really don't care about people who are lost. We have to grasp a sense of urgency about this if we're disciples of Jesus, people who follow him, people who are being transformed by him, people um, who, uh, who are all about his mission. John Wesley said, you have nothing to do but to save souls. Therefore, spend and be spent in this work and go not only to those who need you, but to those who need you most. Charles Spurgeon said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. C.T. Studd said, Some want to live within the sound of a church or a chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Keith Green said, I'd rather have people hate me with the knowledge that I tried to save them. We have a calling to tell the story of Jesus, to introduce people to him, to help them become his disciples. That's not an option if we are disciples of Jesus. It's not something that we can let our culture talk us out of. It's the marching orders of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Robert Moffat said, We shall have all eternity to celebrate our victories, but we only have one swift hour before the sunset.
in which to win them. Let's pray. God, it's so easy for us to get complacent. It's so easy for us to hear the voice of our culture over yours. Um, God, it's so easy for us to hear Satan's voice tell us that we're inadequate or that our story is not good enough. Lord, I, I ask that you'd help us, that you would help us shine for you and that we wouldn't just shine, that we would shine brightly. That we would be that city on a hill, that image that we could see even now of Tiberius on the Sea of Galilee. That it would draw people to you, that our lives, our story, what you're doing in us would draw people to you. That we would say, come and see, come and see what Jesus can do. God, change us. Make us into the people that you want us to be and the church that you want us to be. That we would be hope for a lost world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.